Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Coastal Conversations with your host Natalie Springle is up next. Good morning and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU Community Radio. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and on the line, and you who are listening, create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. This morning, our topic is, where have all the shrimp gone? This year, regulators have imposed a moratorium on shrimp fishing for the third year in a row, which means that consumers aren't getting Maine shrimp, either in the markets or the restaurants, and also it means that Maine fishermen don't have access to yet another fishery. This is a complex issue with all kinds of layers to it, and we have some great folks who are going to be on the show with us today to help us understand what exactly is happening with the shrimp population and what the, um, what the reasons for the closures are and sort of some, what are some of the impacts that we're seeing. Our guests today in the studio, I'm pleased to have Margaret Hunter from the Department of Marine Resources, who's the, um, who directs the Northern Shrimp Program. Hi, yes. Margaret. Nice Hi. to have you. Thanks. That's Maggie. Maggie. would rather Maggie. Great. I should have asked you that before. Um, and then on the phone a little bit later, we'll, we'll also have Dr. Ann Ritz- Richards, um, who's a fisheries biologist with NOAA Fisheries, uh, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the fisheries program there. We'll have Glenn Libby who is with Port Clyde Fresh Catch. And we'll have Catherine Thompson, who's an invertebrate biologist um, studying fresh shrimp and who's also been um, worked as a deckhand on a shrimp vessel. So, um, Maggie, thanks so much for coming. It's great to have you here. Let's jump right in. Um, I know that I'm a big fan in the wintertime of getting shrimp. It's a special treat. Um, and for the last three years, we haven't been able to do that. Um, but before we dive into the whys of the shrimp fishery itself, tell us a little bit about your role at the Department of Marine Resources. Well, I'm a biologist there, and I've worked for DMR for 36 years now in a number of capacities. And I've been the shrimp biologist since about 2001. And um, so my role is to try to uh, assess the status of of the shrimp stock and to make recommendations to managers about what level of fishing might be sustainable for the stock. Okay, great. And um, tell us a little bit about about shrimp itself, sort of the biology of the shrimp. Where do they occur? Which species are we talking about? That's been the target of so much discussion lately, Um, sort of the the biological and ecological framework of the shrimp. 
Yes, the shrimp species that's caught in Maine is called the northern shrimp or Pandalus borealis. Um, it's an Arctic, subarctic species. It likes cold water and it's found in the North Atlantic. It's found off Norway, Iceland, Greenland, Labrador, Newfoundland. Uh, the Gulf of Maine is about as far south as it comes. You don't find northern shrimp south of Cape Cod. So it's a cold water, uh, cold loving animal. Uh, being a cold water animal, it tastes great. Um, uh, the cold water shrimp species are preferred by chefs. I'm not just making that up. Uh -huh. uh, they're really tasty. Uh, similar to the way our lobster is better than any other kind of lobster you'll find around the world. Um, so it's it's a very desirable product. It's a great product. Um, and it's had a, a kind of an up-and-down history uh, for the state of Maine. The fishery began uh, in the 1930s and, um, and grew rapidly. It, it started with a few boats out of Portland um, and spread down east and, and also into the, the states of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. I'm, I'm talking about the fishery, not the animal spreading. Okay, yeah. Um, the animals were there right along. <laughs> um, and then um, the fishery kind of died out in the, the late 40s and early 50s. Um, we're not sure why, but the shrimp just weren't very abundant. We think it might be related to the water being too warm. There was a, a definitely documented warm period in the 19, uh, early 1950s. Um, but the shrimp seemed to recover pretty quickly, and they were caught in great numbers in the 60s and early 70s. In fact, we had the highest catches we've ever had during that period. Um, then the stock seemed to collapse again, hmm. uh, and the fishery was closed for the year in 1978. Um, and then uh, it opened gradually, and the shrimp seemed to recover again pretty quickly. So it's been, it's, it's been up and down. It's been very up and down. It's partly because it's a very short-lived animal. It, okay. Uh, they only live to be about five years old, and um, they're usually caught when they're four and five years old. And so um, they're kind of an opportunistic species that can go from being not very abundant to quite abundant in just a few years um, because wow. the turnover is pretty quick when you're only five years old. Okay. Uh, you know, you're, yep. the, the shrimp that you catch five years later are completely different shrimp uh, than what you were catching five years ago. Right. Right. And then what happened after that? That Was it a one-year closure in 1978? Uh, it was. And, and then it was a short season the following year and then a little bit longer the next year. And, and uh, it went to uh, fishing on them six months a, a, of the year uh, for quite a few years in the 80s and 90s. Okay. And then in the late 90s, um, there was quite a lot of fishing effort. Um, there were a lot of boats that were leaving the ground fish industry and moving into shrimp. Um, and so there was a lot of fishing pressure. We think probably a little too much. Landings got quite high, uh -huh. um, and the stock declined. Um, and so in the early 2000s, we had very short seasons again. We didn't actually close it, but it was they were very short. Um, again, the, the, the shrimp recovered, and we had quite high abundances uh, right up until about 2010. We were still having about average catches in our surveys. Okay. Um, but since then... Um, we think the stock has is, is gone down to maybe a tenth of what it was in the 80s and 90s. Wow, that's significantly yeah. smaller. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, so you, with the Department of Marine Resources, um, help us understand the framework a little bit. You manage, or your department manages... Um, uh, species out to three nautical right. miles. Right. Fisheries management is very complicated because 
fish don't observe state boundaries. Uh, they don't observe international boundaries. They move around. So uh, the state of Maine has jurisdiction only to three miles from shore. Further offshore from that, it becomes federal jurisdiction. Um, so when you have an animal like shrimp that um, occur, it spends most of its life in federal waters and um, can move about between Massachusetts, Maine, and New Hampshire. Um, so um, it's federally managed. Um, the feds have uh, sort of granted management authority for shrimp to the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. And the commission, um, in this case, uh, uses the uh, three commissioners for Maine, three from Massachusetts, and three from New Hampshire who make the decisions about uh, the shrimp season and shrimp management in general. Great. And I think that we might have um, Dr. Ann Richards on the phone, um, and she can help us understand a little bit from the federal perspective, and then we'll come right back to Maggie sure. afterwards. Um, Ann Richards is a, a research fisheries biologist with the Northeast Fisheries Science Center um, with NOAA Fisheries um, down in Woods Hole, Mass. And because this is a fishery that's managed um, across state lines, um, we thought it would be a good idea to bring um, Dr. Richards in to help us understand a little bit of a role um, both about the federal government and also some of the bigger picture of the biology of the shrimp in the larger region. Uh, Dr. Richards, are you on the line? I think so. You Welcome. Hear me? We sure can. It's <laughs> great good. to have you. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Great. Um, so uh, Maggie was just telling us a little bit about how the fishery is managed. Um, what What's your role with the shrimp fishery down there in Woods Hole? Well, my role is to um, serve as a member of the technical um, committee, <clears throat> and the technical committee are the ones who uh, analyze the scientific data and come up with the stock assessment. So I, I'm just a member, just like uh, the other um, members that come from the states. And uh, I think the point of having a federal member on on the these committees and on on ASMSC committees in general is is just to have someone who doesn't who has a uh, perhaps a perspective that encompasses the whole resource rather than I mean not this is not true for shrimp but for some species there can be very strong regional um, outlooks on mm -hmm. things. And um, so that's why a lot of these ASMSC committees have uh, federal, a federal em employee scientist on the committees. And ASMFC stands for Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, right? That's right. Okay, great. Yep. <laughs> great. And yep. so, and, oh, go ahead. You know, I, was just, I, I missed the very beginning of uh, what Maggie was saying, but ASMSC is, basically a, an agreement structure between the states to manage uh, species that uh, cover, that are, that have a major component of their life history within state waters and that also encompass a number of states. So it's it's been a really effective uh, management structure for a lot of species. Okay, so it's not just a shrimp body, it's a, it manages a variety of different species. Yes, I mean, striped bass is a, a, a good example of a, a species that ASMSC is managing. Okay, got yeah. it. And um, and so tell us a little bit about what um, you guys have been doing in terms of sort of assessing how the shrimp has been doing these last few years and even beyond. Mm -hmm. how, how do you go about doing that work to doing assess assessment. the population? Well, um, the, the most important basis for the assessment are um, fishery independent surveys that are conducted every year. And, and uh, we've had a, a dedicated shrimp survey 
since 1984, so we've got a lot of years of data now. And this is a uh, survey that's directed specifically at northern shrimp in the Gulf of Maine. So it, uh, we have a shrimp gear, a shrimp net that was, um, you know, developed based on industry recommendations when the survey started. And we've maintained that gear over time, although we're about to change it a little bit. Um, and that that survey is very uh, provides a very good indication of what's uh, going on in terms of new shrimp coming into the population and uh, how much of the older shrimp have have gone, uh, mm-hmm. either through fishing or other other things, uh, predators and so forth. Um, and so, we, and there are other surveys as well um, that we use the the inshore survey done by the states of Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and then there's a um, survey that's done by the Northeast Fisheries Center that encompasses the whole Gulf of Maine. So it's broader than just the shrimp habitat areas. But these things are fundamental pieces of data that go into a stock assessment. And in fact, could be used to, to uh, as a stock assessment in themselves, a very simple one. Um, but generally, we also uh, look at, um, of course, the, the catch data, the landings, and uh, what are the sizes of the shrimp that are in the landings and so forth to try to tease out what uh, mortality rates may be and um, things like that. So um, we take all those kinds of information we have for many years, put them into a a statistical model to Mm -hmm. try to estimate uh, what removal rates have been and so forth. But um, in the past few years, we've done a a more... um, we have not used that model because it started having problems. And okay. we, we think those problems may be due to a lot of the changes that are going on in the Gulf of Maine, that, that uh, conditions have really changed. <clears throat> so the model is having trouble with dealing with that. Yeah. I was going to ask you a little bit about what are the what are the variables out there in the Gulf of Maine that, um, that might impact the shrimp population? Sort of what are you looking for in terms of... Um, you know, temperature, mm-hmm. prey base, all these kind of different mm-hmm. things that might be impacting the population. Yep. Well, we think that temperature is a big one for shrimp. I'm sure you may, well, you may know that this is the southernmost population of, of northern shrimp in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, you know, most of the populations are in much colder water. They're around Iceland or Greenland. Uh, they're in Norway, although in Norway they're actually in warmer temperature than they are in the Gulf of Maine because of the way the Gulf Stream uh, moves. But um, so it's not surprising that temperatures seems to be very important in this population, and it it seems that a really strong effect of temperature is on the newly hatched shrimp, that they need particularly cold water at the time that they hatch um, to have good survival. So temperature is a big concern. We've also recently identified another sensitive point in the first year of shrimp life uh, where temperature is really important, and that is um, during the late summer and fall when the, the larvae have now settled to the bottom and become young juveniles, little little tiny shrimp, but they're really young. And uh, that time of year is actually when water temperature is warmest in general, and um, there seems to be in a temperature effect there, too. If it gets too warm at that time of year, then the survival is reduced. <clears throat> so temperature is definitely um, mm. tied to survival of the young stages, and it's less clear what the effects are on the older stages. They may It may be affecting growth, but it's a little 
the effects are a little bit more subtle than on the first year of life history, so it's hard to, harder to tease out. Okay. But um, but the other thing is uh, other f- potential effects of temperature are, of course, on the predators, and, and, you know, everything likes to eat shrimp. Ah, okay. And so there are a lot of fish predators of shrimp. And um, what we're seeing, of course, is a lot of changes in distribution of fish as the temperatures are warming. Some fish are that are usually in the mid-Atlantic are coming up to the Gulf of Maine. And uh, I think even more important possibly is redistribution of fish that are in the Gulf of Maine. And um, so it seems that, um, you know, that a potential effect of temperature could be through those sort of more subtle mechanisms of, of changing distributions and possibly changing overlap between shrimp and predators. So uh-huh. more of the shrimp may get eaten. There's a little bit of evidence for that. But also, you know, another change has been that the, uh, just the suite of predators has changed over time, and the predation pressure in general is higher now than it used to be okay. in the 80s. So there's and, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a complex system out there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a, a question that came up to me a few days ago when I was sharing with people the topic of this show um, was how come we're still finding shrimp in, like there's a fish truck not far from here that sells shrimp. And I popped in there yesterday and he said it was shrimp from Canada since we don't have a main shrimp fishery right now. And um, tell us a little bit about how things are going just right across the border. Is it a, a is it similar populations? Is, are, is the shrimp doing better well, there? What they found, uh, I mean, they are distinct populations according to genetic studies. Uh, and there are some open fisheries um, further north, but it's quite interesting. Uh, if you look at the, um, there are surveys in all of these um, populations. Most of them are assessed from survey data, not, not through a survey, uh, an assessment model. But um, if you look at all these different populations, they all seem to be following a downward trajectory over okay. the past few years. So uh, there are still open fisheries, but there have been fisheries closed, for instance, on um, the Fleming Cap, which is east of uh, the Canadian, east of Newfoundland. Okay. Um, that has been closed for a number of years because that really plummeted. And that's actually a fairly warm population, too, because of the Gulf Stream. So, um, yeah, there could be shrimp coming from, in from these other populations. They must have been trucked down from <clears throat> from Canada. But uh, a lot of those populations are not doing well either, so it's quite interesting. And and so here, um, the, you guys, through the process of doing these um, regular stock assessments, you've concluded that the population is low enough that it, the fishery should be closed and has been for the last three years. Right, right. And um, and how is that? What's the prognosis with what your research shows? What's what does your crystal ball say? For, yeah, for many right. Years? I wish I had a crystal ball. <laughs> um, well, it, it's really, of course, hard to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, it depends on what level you look at it. You know, if you look close in, we had a year, uh, 2013 year class, had actually almost average survival. It wasn't terrible, which the other uh, early life survivals in other years had been really bad. And so we're, we're hoping that that might... Uh, develop into some spawning stock to um, put some eggs into the water and get some more and get the thing started again. Mm. Uh, but that, I, I'm not sure that that 
that's going to happen. We'll see. This year is the year when those those shrimp would first be females. Um, but in terms of longer term, I mean, it's clear that the Gulf of Maine is changing very quickly and uh, warming a lot, and that is bad for the shrimp. However, you know, that's the broad view, and there are, are details. For instance, the, the wintertime temperatures are not warming as quickly as other parts of the year, and winter temperatures are really important. Cold winter temperatures are really important. So it may not be so bad in that point of view. But, I mean, I think in general we'd have to expect that it's going to be tough. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Of course, there is evolution, and, mm-hmm. you know, that may seem really uh, outlandish to say, well, maybe they'll evolve, but it is really strong pressure, evolutionary pressure. And there, like I mentioned before, there is a population, maybe even two, that actually, even though they're more northern than the Gulf of Maine, they actually, the shrimp are actually in warmer water there. So mm-hmm. somehow they have evolved to handle those those warm waters. So, you know, hard to say. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Richards. Um, any um, parting thoughts before we let you go? Uh, well, uh, let's see. What would I like to say? I just um, I think that the moratorium is a really important tool because you know you may, Maggie may have inter- mentioned this, but it's a really interesting fishery in which yeah. the females segregate themselves out very nicely from the males, so that the small shrimp are not bycatch. It's a clean fishery in that way. But it depends crucially on on letting those females, you know, a number of those, a lot of those females uh, reproduce. So um, I think the moratorium is a great tool for maximizing that, obviously. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Richards, for taking the time to talk with us today. Glad to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, That was Dr. Um, Ann Richards uh, with the NOAA Fisheries Science Center, or the Northeast Fisheries Science Center. Um, uh, We're back now with Maggie Hunter from the Department of Marine Resources. And Maggie, I wanted to ask you to explain a little bit more about basic shrimp biology in terms of how they change sex through their course of their life cycle and how that impacts um, both the moratorium and what Dr. Richards was talking about there at the end, um, and also just that fascinating biology. Right. They have a very interesting, what we call life history. Um, In a way, shrimp are a lot like little lobsters. They look quite a bit like them. Um, And the females carry eggs under their tails the way lobsters do. Um, They do that once a year, and those eggs hatch off, usually in the late winter or early spring, say in, in March or April. Um, and then the shrimp mature, uh, but they're hermaphroditic. They're hermaphrodites, uh, which means uh, that they have characteristics of both male and female. In the case of shrimp, they're protandric hermaphrodites. I love to mm. say that. It's just a cool <laughs> phrase. <laughs> say but it again. Protandric hermaphrodites. Okay. Protandric means that they start out as males, so they mature first as males. And they function as males when they're about a year and a half old, and usually, again, when they're about two and a half during the summer. Uh, That's when the shrimp mate. And then um, during the next winter, they transition to become female. So every individual shrimp 
matures first as male and then turns into female when they're about three years old. And then they function as females and, and extrude eggs during the, the summer when they're about three and a half years old. And again, uh, when they're about four and a half years old as females. And it's just these larger egg-bearing females that make a migration inshore in the winter to hatch off their eggs. Usually the bulk of the northern shrimp population in the Gulf of Maine stays offshore um, during the summer. Oh, okay. Um, and then it makes just the females make this migration inshore to hatch off their eggs. There's some evolutionary advantage to those eggs being hatched closer to shore. We don't know what it is, but it's uh, it's neat for the fishery. Like Anne said, it makes it a very clean fishery in that um, if the shrimp are caught inshore, it'll just be big ones. You, so you'll be leaving those little ones alone so that they can mature and come again, you know, in another year. Um, it does mean that often the shrimp that are caught are carrying eggs, and we all often get calls on why do you allow the fishery to fish yeah. on egg-bearing animals. I was animals. wondering that myself. You know, that's yeah. not allowed in the lobster fishery, and it's it's really because historically that's when the shrimp have made themselves available, and, okay. and historically that's when when the the shrimp have been fished on, and because one, that's when they come in. That's when they come shore. in close and make themselves available to our small boat fleet. Okay. Shortly after they. They hatch off their eggs, um, they swim back offshore and become less less available and also mixed back in with the smaller shrimp. Um, so if boats do fish offshore, and some of them do, they get a more mixed catch, and that's that's not so good because you're, you're catching small shrimp that you'd rather catch when they get bigger and have possibly had a chance to spawn one or two times. So, I see. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, I think we, we now have Glenn Libby on the line. Um, Glenn Libby is with Port Clyde Fresh Catch, and he has also been a longtime fisherman and comes from a fishing family in the Port Clyde region. Um, Glenn, do we have you on the line? You do. Hi, Glenn. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Natalie. Um, so, Glenn, we've just been talking with um, Maggie Hunter from the Department of Marine Resources and Dr. Ann Richards from um, NOAA Fisheries, and um, wanted to get uh, also chat with you from the perspective of um, the fishing community and also just learn a little bit more about what Port Clyde Fresh Catch does and uh, who your who your market is and what they're looking for. So let's start by t- having you tell us a little bit about Port Clyde Fresh Catch. Well, Port Clyde Fresh Catch was started by the some of the fishermen in Port Clyde here as uh, another outlet to sell our catch that we could control from boat to plate. So it's a lot about local food and local processing and local jobs and things like that. It's actually a co-op, so... Oh, yeah. And uh, we do... Uh, we fillet fish, and we pick a ton of crab meat, and when we're able to, we pick shrimp. And you yourself have been a fisherman for a long time. I think you just told me recently that you are not currently fishing because you're focused entirely on running Port Clyde Fresh Catch. But tell us a bit about what your fishing background is. Well, I started out digging clams when I was a teenager and then migrated down the river to Port Clyde and started going out on the boats and fished for at least 40 years. Okay. Different kinds of um, ground fish, shrimp, scallops. And as uh, tell us uh, a little bit about what 
fishing for shrimp is like? How do you? How did you do it? How do you do it? And and what was the experience like out there? Um, well, we used we would use a net for them as opposed to a trap. Uh huh. And uh, kind of the same areas where we used to go fishing for ground fish in the spring. When I started, ground fish was a for us anyway, and a lot of people it was a a day boat fishery. And uh, we would just go out and fish during the day and then come in and uh, <clears throat> unload at night. And that's kind of how shrimping was. Uh-huh. And is. And that's, is. Yeah. One of the last fisheries that's really like that. Yeah, yeah. And Ground fish is kind of turned into a, more of a trip fishery. Where you, you go out, to go for, out more for a than few a day. days because it's further offshore. And when you were fishing for shrimp, um, uh, where did you sell your shrimp? We'd sell them right at the dock, yeah. There was a combination of peddlers, and a lot of them would go to Portland and, you know, different things like that. Whoever would buy them, really. Yeah. And now, the, by the time we got this set up here, uh, the shrimp season was starting to dwindle down, and... Uh, Kind of tape it off. So, <laughs> we our business plan originally for Port Clyde Fresh Catch was to have shrimp in the winter and fish in the summer with other things mixed in, like a handful of scallops or something. And uh, with the cuts in the ground fish and no shrimp season, we've had to be creative. And that's why I mentioned a ton of crabs. Yeah. 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 And um, so, what's been uh, what's been the impact on? On, on you guys, on your family, and also on Port Clyde Fresh Catch of having the closures? Well, it's been really difficult because uh, ground fishing is kind of a crapshoot in the wintertime, and now we've got the SECTA system, which is a quota system, and the lease price is really high on the fish that we would catch. So it's been a struggle, I guess, to put one word on it. Yeah. And what are your what's the feedback that you get from your customers at Port Clyde Fresh Catch? Do you have people asking you for shrimp? They are, and we're actually going to have a few. I hope. Tell us a little bit about how, about that. My brother is uh, the state. I don't know if Maggie talked about it earlier, but uh, we haven't yet. So, but 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 okay, there's going to be some test tows made, and there were four boats selected, I think, and a couple trappers, and. Uh, they're going to be able to go out for five days over the course of three months and uh, bring whatever they catch they can bring in and sell. So we're hoping to have some next week. Great. And they do; they have a trip limit, and, uh, you know, it'll be really limited and a really tight supply, but we'll have some anyway. We'll get to remember what they taste like. <laughs> yeah, and you'll be selling them through Port Clyde Fresh Catch? Yeah, yeah, we've already got orders for... A lot of what he might catch the first day. I hope he catches enough to fill the orders for what we've got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he must be pretty excited to be going back out shrimping. Yeah, of course he wishes that he could go a regular shrimp season, but, uh, you know, anything's going to help. The price is going to be really high, so that that will compensate, you know, where it's so limited. But uh, it's going to be a rare commodity. Yeah, yeah. Well, yep. hopefully some of our listeners can uh, 
reach out to Port Clyde Fresh Catch and try to get some of those some of those northern yeah. shrimps that you guys will have coming in. Yeah, just give us a call or send us an email and we'll see what we can do. Great, great. Now, um, when uh, you a couple weeks ago or maybe a month or so ago, I think, had a, a, an editorial out in a local paper, Fisherman's Voice, um, commenting about the um, way that the information is gathered about the stock, the pop, the status of the population. Do you want to share? We, we've We've heard a little bit from um, both of our guests so far about how that stock assessment is done, um, and, and you seem to have a little bit of concerns. Do you want to share a little bit about some of those concerns? Well, I know that uh, Maggie and her group try to do the best they can with the data that they get, but it kind of came out at the meeting that some of the gear that they were using was – I've used gear like that, and I know how it performs, specifically the doors that spread the net and uh, – it's not something I would want to use. Um, and so it, it was kind of frustrating to learn that they were having so much trouble with things and going out and doing the survey, and it sounded like they only got, oh, about half of the survey done, and the rest was scuttled due to breakdowns. And it's kind of frustrating as a fisherman and a somebody trying to buy and process the things to hear that sort of thing because you really want to have the best you know the best information available and i i know i also mentioned that uh just because you know let's let's assume that everything's top notch they get all their toes in that doesn't mean we would have a shrimp season but maybe we'd have a better snapshot of what was going on and that's important to know you know as close to accurate as possible yeah 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 um, we'll we'll give Maggie a, a chance to kind of chat about that as well. Um, but before we uh, before we let you go, a, cu- a couple things. One is I just wanted to ask you to share with listeners how people can get in touch with Port Clyde Fresh Catch. If you if you guys have a website or yeah, we've got a website, uh, portclydefreshcatch.com. Uh, we got a Facebook page, Great. and we've got several phone numbers that are listed on there that you can call great great and um just a a parting comment on what do what do you see as the as the prognosis for the future um you mentioned you know it's it's difficult for the fishermen who supply port clyde fresh catch given that the ground fish is hard to come by and and challenging and that and with shrimp what what do you guys sort of envision for the the coming years well you know as far as ground fish go, catch shares and quotas do control, do control the catch really well. But right now, it's the cost of leasing the fish and the way that the quota shares were given out that have uh, really made it difficult for people that didn't get a lot of quota share originally to go fishing and make a living. Impossible without leasing. And when you have things like dabs, it's a the flounders that we catch around here, they're, they're coming back in really high numbers. And uh, I was listening to the New England Fisheries Management Council meeting, and they cut the quota, and nobody could believe it. And what happens is when you cut the quota, the lease price goes up, and that doesn't necessarily translate into a higher price at the auction, which is what we use for a benchmark to set the pricing everywhere so that just 
trims down the margin for the boats and makes it even harder to make a living. And, you know, I think eventually science will catch up with what's really out there, and there'll be some stocks that are in really good shape, and uh, the lease prices will go down, and maybe somebody will be able to make a living at it. It's just Mm -hmm. surviving the interim is the hard part. And uh, as far as shrimp go, who knows? I mean, I heard some – I was talking to somebody, oh, I think a couple years ago now, and they – they had talked to a scientist that said that's it. There won't, there'll never be any more dabs. The conditions are wrong, and now there's all kinds of them. So I don't think anything is set in stone. We kind of just have to wait and see. I wish conditions were overall more favorable for a robust shrimp stock, and maybe they maybe they won't be. But who knows? Maybe it will turn around. Yeah, hard to tell. Well, Glenn, I know you have a a busy day over there at Port Clyde Fresh Catch. Um, Encourage our listeners to give you a shout if they want either shrimp or lots of other good stuff like crab that you guys are selling. Um, Yeah, you can call uh, 207-372-1059. Okay, okay. Um, Thanks so much, Glenn. I appreciate you taking the time for um, joining us on Coastal Conversations. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. If you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to WERU Community Radio. This is Coastal Conversations, a monthly public affairs radio program. Um, WERU is uh, at 89.9 in Blue Hill, at 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming online at WERU. Um, It looks like we're probably not going to have a chance to open the phone lines because we have another guest coming on in a few minutes, Um, but we encourage you to listen to the end. This has been a really interesting show about shrimp. And um, our guests so far have been Maggie Hunter from the Department of Marine Resources. She runs the Northern Shrimp Program there. We've also chatted with Dr. Ann Richards, the research fisheries biologist at the Northeast Fisheries Science Center at NOAA Fisheries in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. And we just chatted with Glenn Libby from Port Clyde Fresh Catch. And um, Uh, Maggie is in the studio here with me from the Department of Marine Resources and um, Maggie we we heard from Glenn some concerns about um, from from his perspective um, about the way that the population is assessed Um, do you want to just share a little bit about what some how you guys are addressing some of those concerns and how and and what those concerns might mean from the perspective sure. of the department. Sure. Our main tool for assessing the survey, and I think Anne touched on this, uh, for assessing the stock is a survey that's conducted every summer, and it's a joint effort by the National Marine Fisheries Service, uh, the, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, and the states. Um, and it's been conducted since 1984, every, every summer since then, um, on the same vessel using not the same gear but identical gear, meaning that we have this long time series um, of survey tows that have been done in the same way um, for over 30 years now. And that's very useful because um, if you changed your gear all the time and you got a different result, let's say you improved your gear and you caught more shrimp the next year, um, you wouldn't know if it was because of the change you made in your gear or because the shrimp had become more abundant. So that would not be very helpful. So the consistency of the survey from year to year is very, very important. Um, So we are using gear and methods that were in use 30 years ago. 
Um, but that the survey was catching shrimp pretty steadily with, with ups and downs um, right through 2010. Um, we were getting average or above average uh, catches of shrimp per tow in the survey uh, in the mid to late 2000s. And, um, and then it's just dropped off uh, in the last four years um, to, like I said earlier, less than a tenth of what we were catching before using the same gear and the same vessel. Um, but what Glenn was concerned about and, and we're concerned about too is that as the vessel is aging, uh, some of the on-deck equipment um, is aging. Uh, and this past summer, the net reel broke down and we lost a week out of a four-week survey. Um, and then we lost almost another week to bad weather. So we really only accomplished about half as many tows as we hoped to. And that was very disappointing for everybody. Um, and there are some other problems. I think Glenn mentioned the doors, um, which are big and heavy. The doors are these big uh, wooden or metal panels that kind of fly out from the sides of the net when it's being towed and hold the net open. Um, and the doors that we're using are extremely heavy, which has caused a lot of wear and tear on the winches, which are 65 years old on the boat. Um, so that's starting to create a problem and a safety issue for the boat. So anyway, there are a number of things that need to be addressed and um, we're hoping to get funding to do that, and I know they're, they're starting this next summer by there, there are plans to replace those doors with something a little lighter and a little more modern. Um, hopefully it won't change too much how the net fishes, uh -huh. um, but there will be some calibrations done so that hopefully we can keep our time series going. Right, yeah, it sounds like a, a sort of a fine line between wanting to have consistent research and also addressing sort of gear changes over time a pretty complex and safety issues and yes. safety issues yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention that it looks like we might be having a hard time reaching our final guest so our final guest um, is supposed to be Catherine Thompson who's an invertebrate Brit biologist Catherine if you happen to be hearing this um, call the station because the station's having a hard time reaching you um, so um, T tell us, Maggie, a little bit about, I, my understanding is that when the fit shrimp fishery is running on the coast of Maine, there's shrimp dragging and then shrimp traps. Can you tell us a little bit about how the two compare how, sure. how they're, and, and why there's two yeah, different it's, ways? Yeah, it's really, yeah. that's very interesting. Um, originally, it was a, a trawl fishery, what developed in the, you know, the 1930s and 40s that I mentioned. Um, but more recently, um, say starting in the, I think around the 70s and 80s, people developed a shrimp trap. And it's very similar to a lobster trap in that it's a big rectangular box made out of wire mesh. Um, they use a smaller mesh in a shrimp trap. It's a half-inch wire mesh. Okay. And um, it's constructed differently in that the opening to the trap is a trough along the top of the trap. Uh, so the the shrimp enter from the top of the trap, and the trap is baited, um, often with herring or mackerel, um, and the shrimp are attracted to the bait, and, um, and they're caught in the trap, and the, and the traps are hauled very much as lobster traps are. Um, so, so that's developed, and I think as the lobster fishery has developed along the coast, so has the trapping fishery, although it's really confined mostly to the mid-coast area, like from Georgetown to... Um, 
Port Clyde is is the the hot trapping area. Okay. And uh-huh. the in the state of Maine, the trappers have caught up to about twenty percent of the catch in in good years. Like in twenty ten, I think they accounted for about nineteen or twenty percent of Maine's catch. Um, Maine's catch usually accounts for about. 85 to 90 percent of the Gulf of Maine's catch with Massachusetts and New Hampshire capturing the rest. Um, in Maine, there are, in, in good years, have been about 300 boats fishing for shrimp. Okay. And about maybe 120 of those are trappers and 180 would be would be trawlers. And geographically, how, how have they been spread up and down the coast? Um, it's predominantly in the western half of the uh-huh. state from, you know, pretty much from Portland to Stonington is where probably 95% of the main fishery lands. Okay. But there are a few people, like in Kennebunk, and there are a few people um, on Mount Desert Island, for instance, that, that trawl for shrimp. Uh-huh. And like I said, trapping is mostly a mid-coast thing. Okay. Yeah. And um, we, we did just manage to connect with Catherine, so we'll hop on her with her in a minute. But um, you just mentioned the word trawl. And mm-hmm. can you differ- – is trawl the same thing as drag? Yes, it- when you think of drags, though, sometimes you think of heavy gear that can uh-huh. sort of dig in a little bit. And, and shrimp trawls are, uh, they have roller gear on the front, so they just kind of bounce along the bottom. I see. <clears throat> but they do fish along the bottom. That's where the shrimp spend their days, is, is either hovering or right on the bottom. Uh, they come up into the water at night to feed, which is interesting. Yeah. But, uh, but they do spend most of their daytime hours on the bottom. Okay, which explains a little bit, you know, back when it was open and, and our family got shrimp, sometimes there was mud on it, so it yes. comes from the bottom. Yeah. Interesting. Great. Well, I think that we do have our next um, and final guest, Catherine Thompson, on the line. Catherine is an invertebrate biologist, and she's also spent some time as a deckhand on shrimp vessels and has spent a fair bit of time out on the water on various different shrimp surveys. So, Catherine, do we have you on the line? Hi, Natalie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm glad we were able to reach you. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, no worries. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do or what what you're up to related to shrimp. Okay, um, well, I'm a PhD student at the University of Maine studying northern shrimp, and I'm actually currently on leave um, because I'm just starting a job at the Department of Marine Resources working with Maggie uh, this week, and... I'll be coordinating the lobster monitoring program in this job. Um, but I started, let's see, after college, I worked lobstering and shrimping in 2010, and that was when I became interested in fishery science um, decided to go back to grad school for it. Um, and last year, I began this PhD program studying temperature effects on shrimp to try to investigate what possible reasons are behind the decline of this this uh, stock in the Gulf of Maine? Great. So, so you're in an interesting position because you've spent time fishing for shrimp, and and you've also spent time sort of studying shrimp. Um, before we jump into the studying part, um, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be out on a fishing boat um, shrimping. Well, um, it's cold. <laughs> the fishery is from January through March, so it's one of the coldest months of the year. And luckily, it's close to shore, um, so within a few miles of shore. And it's very hard work, um, as is lobstering, as is shrimp trapping. And the price is very low. It's, we would get a, a beautiful product um, 
the trapped product is a live, um, intact product, and but we still got a very low price per pound. We were getting 60 cents a pound on a good day. Um, so I think if this fishery does come back, there's a lot of potential to develop the, the market more. Um, but a lot of fishermen don't have the time or energy to do that. Um, and the trap fishery is unique in that traps are baited. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to grind up the bait, which is the same as lobster bait, herring and pogies, um, so that it's really fine so that tiny shrimp mouths can eat it. Um, so we would actually process the bait with a wood chipper, huh. which is very messy. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting to see the fishery firsthand and um, see some of the dynamics and how low the bycatch is. Um, yeah, and just kind of get acquainted with the working waterfront. Yeah. You you mentioned bycatch. Can you explain what that is and what you were seeing? Yes. Uh, bycatch is non-target species that are caught in a fishery. Um, so trapping typically has very low bycatch. Um, shrimp trapping, um, a master's student did, did a study on it and saw that less than 1% bycatch, um, less than 1% of the catches, bycatch, which is extremely low. And the trawling fishery also has low bycatch um, relative to other dragging fisheries. Um, so overall, the shrimp fishery has very low bycatch, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so now uh, tell us a little bit about the research work that you've done. How, how have you been involved in, um, in some of that work? Yeah, so for my dissertation, I'm studying temperature effects on northern shrimp reproduction. Um, shrimp re- the optimum temperature for shrimp reproduction is between 3 and 6 degrees Celsius. And at higher temperatures, um, shrimp embryos develop faster. It's been shown with lab studies. But the larvae are actually smaller and survival is lower. Um, so I've been interested in the very early stages of reproduction. I've been developing methods to estimate fecundity, so the number of eggs per shrimp. And I'm also interested in studying egg quality and maternal conditions. So what condition are the, the mothers in? Um, and we're also measuring temperature when collecting those samples. So it'll be possible to determine whether there's a relationship between these reproductive variables and water temperature. And if from from what I gather, the the shrimp grow at different rates depending on the temperature? Is that is that right? Yes. I'm actually not familiar with these specific studies, but I believe that is the case. Okay. Okay. And um the 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 work that you've done is or is, is this work mostly um, out on the water, in the lab, a little bit of both? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, last winter, I went on a trip with um, the winter sampling program that Maggie coordinates at the DMR. And so I got to see that process. Um, and then this summer, I went on the ASNFC survey in July, um, and saw the, the survey work. So I got a little little taste of both surveys, which was great. And uh, you, you mentioned to me as we were sort of organizing this show um, that you sort of witnessed uh, firsthand 
um, predation, so other species preying on shrimp. Tell us what you saw. Yeah, um, I found it really interesting how many redfish, well, in certain areas we would catch um, a lot of redfish or silver hake, and we were seeing um, shrimp in their mouth, which, I mean, it's, it's hard to determine whether that was, um, you know, a result of them all being in the net together or <laughs> if, it, if they were actually um, eating them prior to being caught. But um, I, was, I was really interested in that. So, so quite literally, your your net comes in, and you're you're hauling in some some redfish and uh, and hake, and and you're seeing that there's shrimp in their mouths. Is that what is that what you mean? Sort of paint a picture yeah. for us. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and there have been studies showing that cod is a major shrimp predator, um, and even though our cod population is down in the Gulf of Maine, I think there are you know other ground fish who are pretty prevalent predators. So if you're seeing shrimp, um, you know, literally in the mouth of other species, uh, did you, do you think that indicates that you happened upon an area where there were some shrimps, you know, higher level of shrimp than you thought? Or is it just, what, what do you sort of make of that? Um, it's possible. It's, it's really hard to say based on um, survey toes, but I think it's definitely worth investigating further. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, so what next do you think for your work with shrimp? Um, well, next I would like to start, I'm collecting a lot of samples and I'm still working on lab methods, um, but I would like to start looking into egg quality, probably um, a proxy for egg quality like egg size and um, maternal condition. And there's some just kind of relative um, measurements of adult condition, like length to weight ratios. Um, so I'm going to be starting to look at those parameters next. Great, great. And um, uh, with the work that you've done so far, um, what do you anticipate finding? Or is it way too soon to tell? Um, unfortunately, it's too soon to tell. I've been pretty distracted by uh, completing coursework in my first year yeah. of my program. So um, I hope to dig into the actual uh, lab and field work more coming up soon. Great, great. Well, it seems like you have a, a unique perspective as, as someone who's spent a lot of time both on the water catching and studying and then and then now back in the lab studying. So I wish you good luck in your work. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Alex. So that was Catherine Thompson, who is um, an invertebrate biologist um, studying shrimp populations at the University of Maine, um, but also just took a job at the Department of Marine Resources doing some lobster work. So um, great to have her on the line and hearing from uh, sort of our next generation of folks engaged in this work. Um, and in the studio, I have with me Maggie Hunter from the Department of Marine Resources, and we have just a couple minutes left. Um, and Maggie, I was I was hoping you could help us sort of understand a little bit more clearly kind of the connection between temperature change and, and shrimp populations, um, or, or sort of give us a little more context there, given that, is it the, the Gulf of Maine is one of the fastest... That's the, right. The temperature is growing faster in the Gulf of Maine than in it most is. other places in the world. Yes. Is what we're hearing. Um, so so how, what, what do we make of that? Well, you're right. The Gulf of Maine seems to be warming faster than almost any other body of water in the world. And a study I just read recently um, 
says that it's probably because the Gulf current, which comes from the Gulf of Mexico and goes across the Atlantic and hits Europe, and it's why Great Britain is warmer than we are, even though they're further north, um, that that current has shifted slightly to the north. And that may be one reason why the Gulf of Maine is, is warming. There, there are a lot of theories, but that, that's one of them that seems to make some sense. Um, and I think 2012 was just the hottest year on record. And I'm talking about water temperatures, not, uh-huh. air, not necessarily air temperatures. That was the year when the lobsters came in That's early. when they, they shed early yeah. okay. and it disrupted the markets. Um, it was also an extremely poor year for survival of baby shrimp. So I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh-huh. Um, and we know that in the 50s when there was a a warm spell that shrimp were very scarce. So they're definitely sensitive to temperature, but we don't really understand the mechanism. For instance, if you have some shrimp in a tank in the lab and you gradually warm, warm them up, it doesn't kill them. It's, it's a more subtle effect, and it's the kind of thing that Catherine is studying and that Anne talked about a little bit. It, it may be that their eggs are developing faster. A lot of metabolic processes happen faster if it's warmer. So if their eggs are okay. developing on the females uh, all winter, but they hatch off earlier than usual, um, maybe there won't be enough food in the water for them to eat earlier in the in the winter than if they hatched off later and uh, hit the spring plankton bloom. So that's one theory. Uh-huh. Then Anne's worked quite a lot on that. Um, and there's some traction for that theory. Um, but she, uh, like Catherine's looking at whether the eggs are as abundant as they used to be. She mentioned fecundity, which is how many eggs a female carries. They usually carry a couple thousand. But are they carrying fewer than they used to? Uh-huh. Or, or are those eggs not as, as robust as they used to be? Are the females not getting enough to eat? Um, are, is there, are there more predators eating shrimp because of shifts in the, in the uh, distribution of their predators? Um, so th- it's really complicated. Very and we, complicated. Don't, uh, we don't pretend that we have the answers, yeah. um, but we do think it's temperature related. Interesting. And that, that question won't go away anytime soon. Oh, no. I don't think. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much. Um, we've come to the end of our coastal conversation today about shrimp. Um, and I'd like to thank all our guests for their time and good work. Um, thanks so much, uh, especially to Maggie Hunter, who's been here in the studio with us um, from the Department of Marine Resources. Thanks to Dr. Ann Richards from uh, NOAA Fisheries. Thanks to Glenn Libby from Port Clyde Fresh Cats and Catherine Thompson, uh, an invertebrate biologist. Um, thanks also to Dana Morris, Chris Bartlett, and Paul Anderson at the University of Maine Sea Grant for helping compile this show on northern shrimp. Thanks um, uh, to all those folks who helped out. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Please join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning. Thank you.